but we don't want to just be hearers of these things, Lord. I pray that they would have the intended effect on our hearts, that we would become doers, that um, we might be the vessels that you can fill to overflowing, that uh, we would be pressed down and overflowing, Lord, that we would glorify you in all that we do and that we would be that people that you need to see, that you might come quickly. Father, Prepare us for this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was asked to do the the morning devotion, a couple of things came to my mind. One of them, one of the first things that came to my mind is, why are we here? Um, In the world... We might be here because we recognize the signs of the times and we want to be prepared for all those things that are going to come upon us. And a lot of times that can be a fearful reaction where we start to put things, you know, back and... Can you hear me? Okay. I'm not very loud, sorry. Um, and I don't think that's why we're here. I don't, that's not why we're called to be here. If that's why we're here, I hope that the experience while you're here will change that heart condition to a condition that we're here because we want to know who our Creator is and we want to come to the garden to learn of Him. Um, so we're not here to escape from an, or hide from or to get away from the dangers of the world. We're here for to learn how to, to get into the country and be sustainable but to be a light on a hill. Amen? Um, We're not here because of self-exaltation, because we want to be, you know, the the ones that do it all the best, right? It's easy to do that. I was, and I, I am in agriculture, and it's easy, it's become a popular thing, and it's sometimes a cool thing, and it can be easily... You can, you can find yourself in that vein of thinking. That's not why we're here. To feel better about ourselves. Oftentimes we do things because we're motivate, motivated by how it makes us feel about ourselves. But I, I hope that we go away from this with the idea that we're here to learn how to be servants. And how to give service. Um... have a morning devotion that that might come off a little bit like um, in a negative light sort of I tend to look at things and ask myself what's wrong because I want to see it improve when I'm in the garden Alan one time said to me he takes pictures of all the bad stuff and Aubrey his sister takes pictures of all the nice stuff because our point of view is to improve the garden right And so oftentimes we're looking at things from that point of view. But I think when we look at things from that critical point of view, it allows us to see ourselves for who we truly are and not trust ourselves but trust to Christ. And so as I I do this, don't think of this as a negative kind of a critique, but it's it's a positive critique in that we really have this opportunity in front of us and are we going to grab it with all that we have and and try to do the best that we can to glorify God okay so that's my warning I guess (laughs) 
if um, if you have your Bibles, if you would uh, turn with me to Second Corinthians six, I believe. I don't really like the computer. I wish I had my my Bible, but yeah, Second Corinthians six. 13 and 18, 13 through 18, rather. And the Bible reads, Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. But ye not unequally, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto, unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Ellen White quotes this verse, and then she has this to say. I'm not too interested in what I have to say. I don't really have much to say, except to, to point you in a direction, and it's going to be Bible and spirit of prophecy. And so... Um, I hope you can appreciate that. But she she follows up that that with this. Never was there a time when this warning was more appropriate than at the present time. When I read statements like that after something said, it strikes me that I probably ought to understand this. And so it's, it goes on to say, far too large a number of professed, professed Christians are Christians only in name. I always, growing up, understood the second commandment in the context of we don't say God's name in vain as in... Pardon? Yeah, don't say, you know, don't say his name when you're upset or in some, some negative form, right? But I have my father's name as well, like my biological father's name. His name is Lawrence Lesher. My name is Lawrence Lesher. And how I act in life determines whether or not I honor that name or dishonor that name. And so when I take his name, I either represent him correctly or incorrectly in such as with our Heavenly Father. Do we call ourselves Christians? If we're Christians, then we take that name either in vain or we take it and glorify our Father, right? And so, are we professed Christians in name only or are we actually about the business of glorifying our Father and what we do say, what we think, 
how we treat each other, even behind closed doors. You know? And to me, this is a challenge. I grew up in the world, and in, in, in the world that I grew up in, you know, the meaner you were to your friends, the more they knew you loved you, that you loved them. You know, I was a skateboarder, and it's kind of, that, that's just sort of how we were. We were abusive to one another for all intents and purposes. And that was fun, we thought. And so, as becoming a Christian, there's habitual habit patterns that are hard to overcome. And so I, you, you kind of find yourself in this sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. Does anybody relate to that? It's not a good place to be, but we can relate to it. So the, this goes on. It says, they have no root in themselves. Their hearts are filled with pride, impurity, unholy ambition, self-importance, a love of supremacy. Is this not what the world cultivates? When we, when we find ourselves with our friends and, and we're out, and hopefully you don't do a lot of the things that the world is doing, but it's still sort of this, it's easy to be prideful. It's easy to look at others and go, wow, glad I'm not like that guy. There's a Bible verse about that, right? It goes on and it says, they may have an intelligent knowledge of the theory of truth and prove their doctrines to be sound and scriptural. How many people here have a theory of the truth and can prove it from the Bible? But they hold the truth in unrighteousness, it goes on to say. Do we hold the truth in unrighteousness? By their course of action, they deny the Savior. That's kind of heartbreaking that we could have. I count myself blessed to be a part of this church because we have a wealth of knowledge that I doesn't seem to exist in the world, even in the Christian world, by and large. But do we hold the truth in unrighteousness? By their course of action, they deny the Savior. Their hearts are not sanctified through the truth. They are unholy in heart and unchristlike in deportment. Unless the spirit and principle, principles that characterize the life of Christ are planted in the heart, they cannot control the life. The law of God must be written in the heart. The truth of God must illuminate the soul. Holiness, mercy, truth, love must be brought into the life. Unless the soul temple is cleansed from its defilement, unless there is purity of heart, unless earnest efforts are made to meet the standard of God's word, they will never be lifted to be the companions of the, true, of the pure and holy. They will never wear the white linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. As long as we have this experience, we will not wear the white linen. We have, by all observation, by all, all outward looking, we all have this sort of stumbling. Sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. 
And so how then does one stop doing that? That's a high calling maybe. Maybe it's something that can be depressing when we go through this process. What I just read was um, from 5T, page 513. There's a lot more there. I would encourage you to write that down and go look at it. It's a, a very good passage. Um, but I got to that passage from a different place. And so if you would go to Steps to Christ, page 47... Ellen White shares with us kind of this thought of, of, to me, what was a great hope of resolution, how to, how to maybe deal with some of this. She says, many are inquiring, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? Because really, that's why we sin and repent, because we haven't made the full surrender to God. We're holding on to some darling things, Right? We have the idea that our version of the world would be better if we could do what we wanted instead of what God said was the right way to do it. Isn't that ultimately what we're doing? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power. In slavery to doubt and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. I don't know about you, but for me. I have cultivated a life of sin in many ways. Sometimes I don't even know I'm cultivating a life of sin. We think we're doing the right thing. We're trying to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, the law isn't so concerned with what you're trying to do. The law isn't arbitrary. We think of law sometimes as like the speed limit outside. Well, this street's 35, that street's 25, that street's 55. What's the big difference? I know how to drive a car. It's kind of a, you know, it's a guideline. It's an arbitrary law for all intents and purposes. It only exists because somebody decided that's what they wanted it to be here in this particular place. Maybe there's a lot of children here, and so, you know, slow down. But God's laws are design laws. They're not arbitrary laws. They're laws because that's how it works. That's how life functions, correct? And so when we cultivate a sinful habit or a sinful tendency... We create neural pathways that make it the path of least resistance, and that's how we then react when things happen. Right? She goes on. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. If you had something of value and you needed it to be held tightly and safely, would you use ropes of sand? No, you would not. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you, but you need not despair. You need not despair. How many people have had this experience? The words just came out. 
right? You did this, you said this, and it, the words just came out. You know, everything that comes out of you did not just come out. This is what she says, and this is the part that to me was, I hadn't really thought about this. I hadn't really heard this or thought about this. I mean, I've read Steps to Christ many, on multiple occasions, and so I've read it, but it hit me this time. It says, what you need to understand is the true force of the will. You are a free will agent. And if you understood the force of the will, you would stop sinning today. Goes on. This is the governing power in the nature of man. Do we understand the nature of man? Do we understand the nature of Christ? Most people think the nature of man is to do good. We probably don't agree with that, I would suspect. We understand that man has fallen and our nature is to do bad. So we have a part to play. We have a choice to make about what we're going to do with that, right? Okay. Goes on. The power of decision or of choice, everything depends on the right action of the will. Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men, it is theirs to exercise. The first time I went to a farm, I thought I was going to look at the farm to see if I wanted to intern on the farm. And I showed up and I had kind of street clothes like I looked like this, like I was totally unprepared. And I went out to this farm, and he says, I'll hop in the truck. We're going over to this other part of the farm. So I get in the truck over to the other part of the farm, and there's 400 row rows, 400 feet rows. Right? Everybody, anybody here ever seen a 400 foot row? Some people, that's a short row. Some people, that's like, I don't know. I don't know what a 400 foot row looks like. Well, I had never seen a 400 foot row. And I looked down there, and he says, we're planting these today. And he was thinking I was working for him today, and I was thinking I was come to visit today. And I planted a multitude of 400-foot rows, and I had never done that before. And when I got home, I had exercised, not the force of my will. Well, I did. I chose to do it. But I had exercised my body. And I felt it. My wife didn't think I was going to make the first two weeks. I didn't know if I was going to make the first two weeks of that endeavor. But I did. And that was 10 years ago, 10 farming seasons ago. But if we don't exercise, if we don't get in the process, we'll never make it to being able to do the 400-foot row and, and getting done at the end of the day and still having enough energy to go for a walk with our wife. So we have to exercise the will. Think about that. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections. But but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. 
Does that take you back a little bit? Maybe you know this. Maybe this isn't an epiphany for you. For me. I don't think I, I knew it intellectually. But I had a knowledge in... in held a knowledge of the truth and unrighteousness. I probably still do. But I can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus, your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with him. Desires for goodness and holiness are right as far as they go. But if you stop here, they will avail nothing. Many will be lost while hoping to desire, hoping and desiring to be Christians. They will do not, I'm sorry, they do not come to the point of yielding the will to God. They do not know, they do not now choose to be Christians. That just seems to, does that really work? It does. It's a promise. We have the power of the will, and if we understood the true force of the will... We would give it to God. Because as I understand this, the true force of the will, we really can't control it. And until your will becomes his will, you will continue. Sin and repent. Sin and repent. Repent means to turn from. So to sin and repent, to sin and repent, is, doesn't really, it's not real. Until you give your will to Christ and his will becomes your will. I don't know what time it is. Am I done? Okay. I have a lot left here. It's usually the way it goes, and that's okay. I just, for morning devotion, it doesn't sound agricultural, but I think as I understood as I have endeavored into agriculture, as I have looked into the garden, you know, Whitmar, I was on the phone with Whitmar one morning. He's consulting me on my soil, and we were talking about humus. And he says, you know, humus is made up primarily of oil. And no, I didn't, I didn't know that. He says, yeah, it's made up primarily of oil. He says, what's an oil symbol of in the Holy Spirit? I'm sorry, in the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, I gave you the answer. I gave you the answer, didn't I? Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Humus is made up primarily of oil. And 
You either have enough oil or you don't have enough oil. And in order for the ground to function properly, you need to have enough oil. Not just enough oil for today, but you need enough oil for when the bridegroom cometh. And the pictures that, that are drawn out, you know, one of the 50% of your soil is made up of water and air. You were formed of the dust of the ground and the breath of God, the breath of the soil, the air in the soil. As we went on with this little discussion, you, you can see that um, the picture in reforming proper soil balance so that plants grow and can service their environment and their community is a picture of the character of God. As we endeavor into agriculture, we're actually learning about righteousness by faith. And so, we can either exercise our will to choose to do what we can do, or we can do what we want to do. My encouragement to you as we leave this place is to think about those things, meditate on what it means to give your will to Christ, and how the garden's role in that is fundamental as the second book. As we practice agriculture, we're not here to learn how to evade the dangers of the world out there so much. That's a side effect. We're not here to exalt ourselves. We're not here to any of that. We're here to learn how to serve because Christ came not to be served but to serve. And as we go through that process, that is how you will find you have Christ in you. And your will no longer becomes your will, but it becomes his will. And the true force of the will then can be exercised. And you can put on the white robes of linen. Because that's what God is waiting for. That's what Christ is waiting for. A people who can be lifted up as an ensign to reflect his character. Because if he be lifted up, he will draw all men. Not because of me or you, but because of Christ in us, his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we leave this place to go to breakfast and to go through our day and to learn of you as we go through our day today, Lord, help us to understand the true force of the will. Help us to make our will your will. Strengthen us to this end, Father, for we have nothing in us to give truly. We are but dust. Father, our purpose, our desire is that our hearts might be made as your heart, that we might glorify thee, that this world might see something in us that would lead them to you, that as we go about our day and 
we interact with others, that we might be pointing them to their creator. Not that they might be exalted or lifted up, but that they would find you and that you might dwell in them as well. Father, this ultimately is about your character, about a vindication of who you are and the accusations that were leveled against you. Father, help us to be a part of that number that will vindicate your character, that will show this world that there is a better way and that your laws are laws of righteousness. And that we don't keep them because we have some strength in ourselves to do that which is right, to deny that which we truly desire, but that our desires are just to do what your will is and that the rest of the world will fall away. We thank you that you've promised to do this work in us, that you've promised to finish the good work that you started and that we can trust you because your promises are yea and amen. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. For his sake we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.